Have you ever had a CAT scan? I don't mean scan a cat <clears throat> or cat on a scanner, okay? I mean a CAT scan. Have you ever had a CAT scan? A CAT scan is an x-ray technique that photographs multiple splices of your body to provide a three-dimensional look at your insides. You lie down on a gurney, and then they roll you into the tube, and then the x-ray tube starts to spin around you, rotating around you, snapping pictures as it goes. Did you know that 62 million CAT scans are done each year in America? 62 million. Well, for the next several months, I'd like us to focus on just 12. The last 12 books in the Old Testament are known as the Minor Prophets, but I like to think of them as spiritual cat scans. For they scan the inner life of God's people. They give us a picture of our hearts, of what's going on inside of God's people. Each week, we're going to take a look at a different prophet. I'm going to introduce his background to you, spell out his circumstances, and summarize his prophecy. And then we're going to explore how the prophet's message applies to us today. And I think you're going to glean a lot from these ancient CAT scans. This morning we're going to look at the first of the minor prophets, the prophet Hosea. Verse 1 puts the prophet Hosea and his prophecy in their historical context, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Hosea served God from 760 B.C. to 710 B.C. He lived in the shadow of five kings and logged 50 years of faithfulness to God. Hosea was the contemporary of two other biblical writers. Micah and Isaiah spoke to the southern kingdom of Judah, while Hosea focused primarily on Israel to the north. All three of these prophets had a very difficult ministry. But it is hard to imagine a tougher road to hoe than the call of Hosea. Listen to verse 2. We're told, When the Lord began to speak to Hosea, notice this, the first thing the Lord said to Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry, by departing from the Lord. Wow. First thing God says to you. Go and marry a harlot, Hosea. And raise children that aren't your own. Wow. Before they got married, Hosea and his fiancée, Gomer, they, they were having this heart-to-heart -heart conversation. And Hosea sort of opened up to Gomer and said, Honey, I, I, need, a, I need to confess to you. Uh, there's something that you need to know about me before we get married. I have this obsession with golf. And whenever I drive near a golf course, I've just got to stop and tee it up. In fact, I've been known to miss work and, and 
forsake family appointments and commitments just to play around the golf. And I'm really worried about this compulsion I have that is going to interfere with our marriage and we're going to have some problems. Gomer, she, she was so understanding. She says, oh, sweetheart, don't, don't worry about that. That's okay. But, but while we're on the subject, Hosea, I have a confession to make to you. Hosea, there's something about me you need to know. I'm a hooker. Well, Hosea, he, did, he didn't even bat an eye. He just said, well, well, baby, that's okay. In fact, if you'll just roll your right hand over the top of the club like that, you know, that'll straighten that hook right out. Well, the, the real Hosea was not a golfer, but the real Gomer, she was a hooker. In my opinion, this is one of the most bizarre storylines in all the Bible. I'm surprised Hollywood hasn't turned the story of Hosea into a movie. Imagine the potential titles. The Minister and the Madam. Man of the Cloth and Lady of the Night. The street preacher and the street walker. His light, red light. And here's my favorite. Ho, Hosea. <laughs> hey, this is the type of sensationalism that runs on television during sweeps week. I mean, the story of Hosea and Gomer would have jacked up the ratings. Now, here's what I want to do this morning. I'm going to tell you the story of Hosea. And then when we're done, there's one big lesson I want you to leave with this morning. Well, God calls Pastor Hosea to marry a madam. Imagine the shock. According to the law of Moses, prostitutes were to be stoned, not courted. And what about Hosea's future ministry? I mean, what church is going to hire a pastor who comes with a prostitute for a pastor's wife? Hosea's calling was worse than a bad case of leprosy. You know, I'm sure he sort of scratched his head and wondered if this was, if this was all just a trick. You know, just a trick. It, it was surely a strange command. And yet Hosea obeyed. Verse 2 tells us, he went and he took Gomer. There's a passage that appears later in the book, in Hosea 12, verse 10. There God speaks, I have given symbols through the witness of the prophets. See, the prophets were God's representatives, and often they just spoke for God. But on occasion, they conveyed their messages through symbols or through skits. You see, Isaiah, he went naked and barefoot to expose the bare facts of the nation's sin. Jeremiah buried a scarf by the river in Babylon to prove to Judah that they would remain there for 70 years. Ezekiel, he even dug a hole in the side of his house and escaped for work each morning in order to illustrate that Jerusalem would soon be invaded and the city surrounded. I mean, God scripted these bizarre parts for his prophets to play. But I've got to tell you, no prophet drew a more challenging role than Hosea. God's command and the marriage that resulted caused Hosea severe and prolonged and heart-wrenching pain. In verse 2, God tells Hosea why he wants him to marry a prostitute. He says, For the land has committed great harlotry 
by departing from the Lord. You see, as tough as it was, the mission that God assigned to Hosea was the same situation God had endured for centuries in his relationship with the Hebrews. God's wife, Israel, had committed spiritual harlotry. Rather than reserve her heart and her affections and her loyalties and her love for God, she had given her heart and had wasted her attention on idols. Hosea's home mirrored the house of Israel. Now Hosea, he marries this girl named Gomer. Strange name for a girl, I might add. But I guess coming from a boy named Sandy, I can't really say much. But Hosea, he marries Gomer. And not long thereafter, they have a son. In verse 4 of chapter 1, the Lord names the baby boy. He calls him Jezreel. Two more kids follow a little girl named Lorohama, and then another baby boy named Loami. These names of these children served as a forewarning for Israel. Once I heard of a, a doctor whose last name was Hurt. I had a friend of mine who went to Dr. Hurt. <laughs> Dr. Hurt? Can't be good for business, the name Dr. I mean, who goes to Dr. Hurt to get healed? And yet, I ran across a list recently of other real people whose names sort of match their jobs. For example, Mike Sellers is a distribution manager. Ralph Bible is a minister. There's a carpenter named Mr. Plank. Mr. Hand is a physical therapist. Mike Cash works in finance. Richard Pye is a chef. Mr. Hookham is a director of advertising. William Love is a cardiologist. There is a doctor who removes dead tissue from wounds named Skinner. Dr. Skinner. And then, of course, the dentist, Dr. Moeller. Well, God gave Hosea's three children these prophetic handles. The first son was named Jezreel, which means scattered. That's what God did to Israel. In 722 B.C., the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians. And its inhabitants were scattered out among the Gentile nations. Did you know that to this very day, twice as many Jews live outside of Israel than live inside of Israel? The Jews still remain scattered around the world even as we speak. Hosea and Gomer's next child was a little girl that they named Loruhamah. Or no pity. See, there comes a time when God withdraws His mercies and His pity from a people. Before the flood of Noah's day, God said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. I mean, even God's bountiful patience and forbearance has its limits. And this explains the devastating plight of Israel over the centuries. From the Crusades, to the Inquisitions, to the Holocaust, the Jews have been an unpitied people. Names like Auschwitz and Dachau send chill bumps down our spine. For 2,700 years, our world has shown the Jews no pity. Well, the madam has a final child, Lo-Ami, which means not my people or not my child. What a strong rebuke this was. Israel claimed to be God's kids. But here God calls them illegitimate. 
They had his name, but not his nature. It reminds me of the newspaper ad that read, Lost dog, walks on three legs, is missing an eye, has a gnarled left ear, a broken tail, several scars, goes by the name Lucky. <laughs> I mean, some names don't exactly fit the bearer's nature and life experiences. And so it was with Israel. They were called the people of God. But as far as God was concerned, they were not my people. You see, three names illustrated what a nation's future would look like for 2,700 years. One commentator wrote, Never has so much been said in so few words. And yet here's the question. If Israel was renamed Lo-Ami or not my people, does that mean that God has abandoned the Hebrews forever? And the answer? No way, Hosea! In chapter 1, verse 10, right after the names are given, God makes this statement. He says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, You are sons of the living God. In verse 11, God promises that scattered, or Jezreel, will be regathered. In chapter 2, verse 1, Lo-Ami is renamed by God, Ami, or my people. And to Lo-Rohama, God guarantees mercy will be shown. You know, in the Hebrew language, the prefix lo means no or not. It applies to a negative spin to whatever word it's attached. Ruhama means pity, so lo ruhama means no pity. Notice God was the one who took away the lo from these names. It was lo ruhama until God said his name will be Ami. A Ruhama or pitied. He says it, it was low a me, but then God said, No, it's going to be a me. It's going to be my people. Why is it that folks accuse God of adding negativity to their lives? You know, why is it people say, Oh, God just wants to saddle you down and spoil the party and be a killjoy? I hope you don't believe that. It's not God. It's sin that adds negativity to our lives. Here God is the one who removes the low or the negativity. God is the one who takes away the pain and the heartache. God is the one who drops the low and causes mercy to flow. Notice chapter 2 opens with Hosea hurt and angry. The name Lo-Ami means not my child. Rather then not our child, it means not my child. It's in the singular. Implied is that by this point, Gomer has gone back to the streets, or perhaps to the brothel. Hosea is sure, in fact, that Gomer's third son was not even his own boy. Lo, a me, not my child, was sired by another man, one of Gomer's illegitimate lovers. In verse 2, Hosea threatens Gomer with divorce, even public disgrace. You see, this man hurts, and his pain is piercing, and he's desperate for his wife to come home. He wants to do anything to get her attention. 
Eventually, Hosea lets go of the go-go girl. She has to taste the bitterness of the life she's chosen. And this is what God did to Israel. You see, God and Hosea both allowed their wives to reap the terrible consequences of their infidelity. Hosea let go, but Hosea never gave up. He kept hoping and praying. He shows tremendous forbearance and patience toward a wayward Gomer. And then one day, he hears that his wife is in the slave market. She's being auctioned off by her pimp. Used and abused, now she's being sold on the auction block. Hosea rushes in. He buys her back and he brings her home. And in chapter 3, verse 3, Hosea addresses Gomer. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, so too will I be towards you. Hosea takes back his wife, but he doesn't immediately try to turn back the clock and ignore what she's done. Not immediately. In essence, Hosea takes her home, but not to bed. She comes under his provision and his protection, but they sleep in separate rooms. See, anyone who's been the victim of infidelity understands that marital trust isn't rebuilt overnight. It takes time for the Gomer to prove to the Hosea that they're repentant and that they're truly faithful and can be trusted. And so for an unspecified period of time, or as Hosea here puts it, for many days, another way of saying, for as long as it takes, Gomer is no longer a harlot, but in the strictest sense, neither is Hosea her husband. And you see, this describes Israel's current status in the world. For many days now, for 2,000 years, the Jews, they haven't played the harlot. They're no longer an idolatrous people, but neither is God their husband. You see, the Jews were cured of faith in false gods, but they haven't yet been convinced of faith in God's Son. Today, God supports and He protects Israel But in essence, they sleep in separate rooms. Israel lives in limbo. God's people are without God's Savior. Now, that's the story of Hosea. You got it? Everybody with me? That's the story of Hosea. But here's the takeaway from today's lesson that I want you to walk out of here remembering. You see, the life of Hosea is about real relationship with God. If you want a real relationship with God, here's where you need to camp. For us, this story is about keeping it real. Now, I don't know how many of you watch the talent show American Idol, but one of the judges on the show, he has a host of one-liners that he uses to evaluate the talent. In fact, I brought with me the top ten Randy Jacksonisms. You with me? The top ten Randy Jacksonisms, here they are. Number ten, you worked it out tonight. Number nine, I don't know, dog. Number eight, yo, 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 that was the bomb. Number seven, dude, it wasn't good for me. Number six, we got a hot one tonight. Number five, you could sing the phone book. Number four, 
Okay, check it out. Number three, he says this all the time. That was a little pitchy for me. What does that mean? Number two, you blew it out the box. And in the number one Randy Jacksonism, keeping it real. You ever heard that expression? Keeping it real? Hey, it means nothing fake here, man. Nothing phony. I don't want anything bogus or pretend here. Only what's genuine. See, if Randy prefaces his comments by saying, keeping it real, dog, it means he's going to tell it to you just like it is, straight up. He's not going to sugarcoat his evaluation. He's about to unload the truth, even if it's hurt your feelings. And this is what's happening in the book of Hosea. God is keeping it real. You see, if you want a pretend relationship with God, and a lot of people do, if you're content to be a bogus believer, just sort of have this false and phony faith, then please stay away from Hosea. Because this book is about real life and real vows and real betrayal and real hurt and real love and real feelings and real perseverance and real forgiveness. Hosea is keeping it real. You see, too many people pretend in their relationship with God. But the experiences of Hosea show us what real relationship looks like. In Hosea 6, verse 6, God says, you can check this out, write it down, check it out later. Hosea 6, verse 6, God says, and then Jesus will later quote, I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. In other words, you can play your religious games. You can try to silence your guilt with ritualistic sacrifices or buy God off with some religious offering and not have a real relationship with God where you know Him and you've truly received His mercies. You know, everybody likes to say, oh, we're tight with God. I hear that all the time. Man, me, me and God, man, we like this, man, we're tight. I hear that kind of stuff all the time. But do we understand what it takes to be tight with God? Do we understand what that means? Do we know what being tight with God is all about? You see, you can talk about fidelity and faithfulness to God and yet not really know what that means in a practical, everyday sense. You can hear of God's forbearance and yet never appreciate the effort that implies. You can discuss God's forgiveness, yet never sense the tremendous price and passion that's behind that word, forgiveness. But the story of Hosea, man, it keeps it real. God comes along in Hosea, and He wraps flesh around what would be an ethereal, spiritual, intangible relationship between him and his people. God is keeping it real for us. If we want a real relationship with God, look to Hosea. This is what it looks like. You want to know about real spiritual faithfulness to God? Well, then look at the story of Hosea. Here is a good and godly man whose heart gets crushed. His love is spurned. He loved a woman who didn't deserve his love. Gomer didn't appreciate, nor did she reciprocate Hosea's love. She betrayed him. 
She just took him for granted. She mocked his love with her life of infidelity. You know, over the years, man, I've counseled enough couples to sympathize with the Hoseas. There's some Hoseas here this morning. I mean, nothing damages a psyche or breaks a person's heart more severely than a spouse's betrayal. This wound cuts deep. It hurts. And yet, this is what happens to God when you sin. I'm telling you, the book of Hosea, it keeps it real. When we choose pleasure or some possession or some popularity with our friends over God and His will and our devotion to Him, we commit spiritual infidelity. Sin is a love crime. When you're supposed to love someone enough to obey him and you don't obey him, that means you don't love him. This can sound vague and hyper-spiritual until we read Hosea. From Hosea's viewpoint, there's nothing fuzzy here or hazy about infidelity. Betrayal and rejection hurt. These are not trivial sins. You see, if Hosea just spoke about spiritual infidelity, that, that sin's so intangible, we could dismiss it. We could ignore it. It would be easy to do so. But when people saw how Gomer treated Hosea, no one could sweep under the rug what Israel was doing to God. Hosea's story picked at the nation's scab. Through his heartbreak, it was obvious that their sin didn't just break God's law. And it broke God's heart. Even today, when we think of sins, what do we do? We identify concrete, observable kinds of sins. You know, evils that we can point a finger at. Abortion, or substance abuse, or embezzlement, or illicit sex, or racial prejudice, or domestic violence. But the sin that has wounded God's heart in more ways and more often than any other sin, doesn't even get honorable mention on our list. Spiritual infidelity, harlotry, is the very essence of sin. Hey man, sin is loving other things more than you love God. Modern day idolatry is just as real as Israel's harlotry. And yet in today's church... It tends to get glossed over. Rarely is it talked about or even identified. And yet, I can imagine Gomer getting dressed up. She styles her hair. She paints up. She puts on provocative clothes. And Hosea, as she's walking out the door, Hosea asks her, Honey, where are you headed? She pretends not to hear him. But Hosea knows she has other interests and they don't include him. Is this how God feels when I go places and don't bring him along in my mind and in my heart? How am I treating God when, when I get involved in relationships and activities without ever considering whether he approves beforehand? I mean, do I want God to be a part of all that I do at work and at play and at school or have I made it clear that there are a few interests in my life that don't include him? You see, I, get, I see Gomer dressing up and walking out 
on Hosea. And I realize his hurt. I feel his hurt. And I'm forced to realize that this is the hurt that I can inflict on God. Hosea tells his people, or God tells his people in Hosea 10 verse 12. He says, break up your fallow ground. In other words, plow under your pride. Repent of your hardness and your haughtiness. You see, one of the duties of marriage is to keep a soft and sensitive heart toward your spouse. And this is the duty of a Christian toward God. We owe Him our love and our attention and our loyalty. It is our duty to keep a soft and sensitive heart, a pliable heart toward God. You see, when it comes to harlotry and fidelity, Hosea, man, he's keeping it real. And likewise, when it comes to God's forbearance, you know, it's hard to imagine Hosea, how Hosea was able to endure so long in this relationship. And I mentioned earlier, Hosea let go, but he never gave up. His love persevered. Imagine Hosea. He's basically a single dad. He's got three little preschoolers running around his feet. And almost daily, one of them comes up to him and says, Daddy, when is mommy coming home? He doesn't know. He doesn't know how to answer. He's just waiting and hoping and praying and enduring. Just like God has done for you in your life at times. Hosea 11 verse 8 is one of the most stirring verses in all of the Bible. Israel is bent on backsliding and needs to be judged. And yet God reveals his own angst. Having to judge the people he loves is tearing God apart. And he cries out in the middle of these judgments. He cries out, how can I give up on you, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zeboim? Adma and Zeboim were cities that were destroyed with Sodom and Gomorrah. And then God says, my heart churns within me. God says that. My heart churns. My sympathy is stirred. In the midst of uttering these threats, it's as if God breaks down and God becomes emotional. What one author writes, a cry of love escapes. You see, this is why you should never think of God as some vindictive judge. He's more like a heart-torn parent or a jilted lover who's forced to use tough love to restore a relationship that once was. Chapter 2 reveals Gomer's excuse for leaving Hosea. Rather than live in the cul-de-sac, she wanted to fast lane, man. She was more disco than domestic. Hosea lived on humble means. He was a prophet. And she didn't like his modest lifestyle. In her mind, Hosea was boring, so she went out whoring. And in chapter 2, verse 5, Gomer says, I will go after other lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Gomer looked out and she saw all these fancy foods and these designer clothes that she could have. And she said, Shazam, I want that. Gomer said that, Shazam. You, you, get, you get that? And she soon, she soon found out that she could have it. For a price, for the price of her body, and then eventually her soul. 
And Hosea, Hosea dealt with his stray cat the way God deals with his rebels. He turns her loose. He lets her go. In chapter 2, verse 6, he says that he'll make her way hard and thorny and restrictive. Verse 7 says, she will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better for me than now. He hopes that by letting her go, she'll come back more appreciative. You know, when I was five years old, I got mad at my parents. And I decided to run away from home. And I'll never forget how it went down. Dad helped me pack. (laughs) And Mom made me one last peanut butter and jelly sandwich for the road. And I made it four doors down the street before I realized that life at the Adams house wasn't so bad after all. And this is how God treats wayward sinners. Hey, backslide from God, choose to walk away, and rarely will God chase you down. Instead, He'll honor your choice. And He'll just let you learn the hard way, man. Hosea 8 verse 7 says, They sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. Go ahead and sow your wild oats. But understand, you'll harvest tons of trouble for which you haven't bargained. Here's good advice for how to handle an adulterous spouse if you have one, or a rebellious child, or an embittered friend, or even an upset church member. Don't try to hold on. Let them go. Turn them over to their own choices. If you stand in their way, if you arrange some kind of bailout, you'll keep God from getting their attention. We learn more by reaping what we've sown. Hosea 6 verse 1 tells us how this works. Come and let us return to the Lord, for He has torn, but He will heal us. He has stricken, but He will bind us up. God allows us to be torn so we can be healed. He has a rod of discipline in His one hand, and He has bandages of love in His other You know, it's amazing. Hosea lets Gomer go, but he doesn't give up. And this is the balance that we have a hard time striking, isn't it? Letting someone go doesn't mean just washing your hands of them. We let them go, hopefully, to get them back. You see, when God gives up on you, and your insensitivities, and your deficiencies, and your failures, and your sins. Hey, when God gets tired of you and washes His hands of you, then you can give up on that someone else. But God doesn't do that. Now I agree, there may be much to be worked out between you and that someone. Even after Gomer came home, her and Hosea had a lot to work out. But Hosea was never told to walk out. Hosea's just keeping it real, man. Reconciliation is God's goal. It is His passion in the world today. Hosea's endurance was proof. God will work us over, but He will always take us back. And then finally, if you doubt the reality and the high cost of God's forgiveness, then you need to pay attention to Hosea. You know, some folks claim to be forgiven, yet they don't even know what it means. But Hosea is keeping it real. If you want to see real forgiveness in a real relationship with God, 
Then follow Hosea down to the slave market. Gomer got in debt to her pimp and became his slave. She lived in these dark, dank, nasty hotels, servicing the lusts of an endless stream of heartless men. And when she couldn't work off her debts, her pimp put her up for auction. And it was then, it's amazing, it was then in chapter 3 verse 1 that God spoke to Hosea, go again. God, you mean you you want me to do this again? God says, go again. Love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods. And Hosea obeyed. Now I hope you understand what this means. You can stop serving God. You can stop loving God. You can stop worshiping God. But you will never stop God from loving you. That's what this means. His love can never be extinguished. It endures all things. My favorite character in the little Toy Story movies was the space ranger, Buzz Lightyear. And I love his famous line, To infinity and beyond. Hey, this is God's love for you. To infinity and beyond. God's love is an eternal buzz. Now, history describes these slave markets In the ancient world, they were barbaric and brutal places. Humans were treated like livestock. Slaves were stripped and they were paraded before their buyers. Imagine Hosea having to watch his naked wife be humiliated before a crowd of rowdy men. Hosea enters the bidding and in short order, he buys back Gomer. According to chapter 3 verse 2, Hosea bought Gomer for a homer. Actually, 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. You know, Exodus 21 set the standard price for a slave at 30 shekels. Boy, sin must have taken its toll on Gomer. A used up Gomer was bought back for half the price of a healthy slave. You see, when Gomer bailed on God in her marriage, she thought it would make her life better and happier. Just the opposite happened. She's now a shell of the woman who had been married to Hosea. And here's a moving scene. Oh man, I wish you could, I wish we all could have been there. Here, here's an incredible scene. Hosea, he approaches the auction block. He hands the man his cash. He takes a coat and he wraps it around his disgraced wife. He covers up her nakedness and then he dries her tears and then he reaches down and he loosens up the chains that are holding her and he wraps his arm around her and then he escorts her through the jeering crowd. Man, I hear glib comments all the time. Oh sure man, I'm saved. When the dude who mumbles those words doesn't have the slightest clue what God has gone through and what it has cost his son to gain for him that forgiveness. Man, I'm just keeping it real. Rather than love God, you and I, we've gone whoring after illegitimate pleasure at times. We have pimped ourselves out to the world. You know we have. But Jesus went to the auction block, the cross. And Jesus bought you back. 
And He has set you free. And He has now clothed you in His goodness. And He's dried your tears. And He has brought you home. Hey, you owe Jesus a debt that you can never repay. And Jesus should, by now, have your allegiance locked up forever. The name Hosea means salvation. And the story of Hosea keeps salvation real. It displays the seriousness of our sin. And the unwavering nature of God's patience. And the lavishness of God's forgiveness. If you want to see a real relationship with God, look to Hosea.